saw it on linden street the show dedicated to the joy of finding an appreciation in cult films exploitation oddities beloved classics and all points in between i'm your host chris roberts inviting you to join us here at the linden street cinema experience theater as we once again dig up a fun cinematic relic from the past if you're new to the show thank you for joining us now this isn't your standard film review. Rather, it's more of a synopsis of a film that we feel deserves to have another inspection, with some background thrown in on the actors, the director, and hey, if I'm doing my job right, you'll get a half-amusing story out of me. Fair be warned, we don't cover all aspects of plot, but we do discuss endings and spoilers, so if you'd like to be surprised, please give the film a viewing before you listen to us. If you like us, and hey, I would hope that you do, please recommend this podcast to a friend, give us a favorable review. We are continuing our August theme here, the very awkward, wait, what? That's our selection of some great head-scratching cult classics that are sure to make you pause, and then hopefully run out to your local purveyor of video media to take in all the bizarre happenings. This week, we have the sequel to a little-known James Bond knockoff, the Filipino action film that is 1981's For Your Height Only. Join us! So, if you haven't gathered by now, I really love exploitation films, just as a genre. They're my proverbial bread and butter, and what's so great about them is they come in so many ways, shapes, and forms. All exploitation films are at their core exploitative, and then they belong to a subgenre. You know, war films, prison films, horror films, skin flicks, biker motorcycle movies, martial arts, so many more options. Now, granted, by definition, the name alone is promising you that you're about to see something sort of off the wall. It's mostly going to be chock full of violence, sex, nudity, gore, or a combination of all of those dialed up to 11. And if you're lucky, it's going to be attached to a serviceable B-film script. Now, that being said, there's also a certain wonderfulness about a hot mess that has zero story, but acts as if it's a dumping ground for random acts and scenes. And truthfully, movies like that also have a place in my world and can be enjoyed if you put them in the proper context as to what they are. So all of that being said, while exploitation as a genre can be oodles of fun, one at least has to acknowledge that, as cheap grindhouse films often are, they also have a dark side and can be wildly racist, culturally insensitive, and insulting to disabled individuals. 
They can be sexist or misogynistic. They can be homophobic. And especially since we're looking back to movies of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, they are very dated in their depiction of the world. What's more, they live up to their name. Often, the prophets come at the very real exploitation of the people involved in making that cinematic endeavor. And our movie this week is no exception to anything that I just said. Now, for you younger folks, the upcoming good and woke generation who are dragging society into a better place, kicking and screaming, trying to make it a more inclusive world, my hat's off to you. But I can already hear you out there, and I can appreciate your concern. Hey Chris, if these kinds of movies are made by exploiting actors and actresses, shouldn't you be upset? Shouldn't this be something that could trigger people, and therefore it should be stopped? Shouldn't we ban these films? My answer to that is no, and here's why. If you ban forms of art, even if that art's sensibilities are not in step with our modern mores, it doesn't serve to change the fact that the art itself was created. Something was made and produced, and for good or ill, people were used, exploited, or possibly hurt in that process. But if you ban such a thing, you're negating the fact that the people that made it even went through it, and you take away any real chance of getting some measure of value out of it. Films that you couldn't make today because of their views on race, class, gender dynamics, in banning them, you take away a chance to explain why they were wrong in the first place. Why it shouldn't happen again now. And thus you overlook anything else that's positive about its existence. And I will argue that this film in particular this week, while it does exploit the work of certain people, it actually does also have some merit. This week, our film is the Filipino-based production, which is a straight-up James Bond spoof, poking fun at the 1981 Roger Moore helmed for your eyes only, built around, in air quotes, the joke that the main character, Agent 00, is a little person. Which, in modern context alone, that's not a funny joke. Most of the humor, and I'm using, again, air quotes, and that concept in the loosest of terms, stems from the sheer juxtaposition of a lead character who is fighting the bad guys, and most of that is done with punching or kicking folks in the groin, operating special equipment, he's wooing the ladies, all of it is based on his size. That's it. There aren't really a ton of jokes in this picture. So, good or bad, the concept is just how odd the situation is, and that's supposed to deliver the humor to be seen. So, how does this film even come about? Well, to answer that, we need to look at the film's star and his interesting, if not tragic, career in the Filipino film world to better get to know the man who they refer to as Wang Wang. many mysteries, rumors, and half-truths out there on the internet about the man who would become known as Wang Wang. Some stated he was an actual secret agent on behalf of the Filipino government. Acting was his perfect cover. Others say he left acting to have a successful singing career. And still wilder rumors abound that he switched to performing stand-up comedy and he had taken on a porn star for a wife none of these tales would turn out to be true, but the gossip did circulate as the years marched on. Part of it can be chalked up to the carelessness of Western media, some of it can be attributed to a general lack of knowledge at the time, and perhaps most troubling, a large amount of his work and film has just been carelessly lost to time through neglect. Born Ernesto de la Cruz on September 7, 1957, in the Baclaran North Greater Metro Manila area in the Philippines, from the start it was apparent 
that Ernesto was a different child. As his mother stated, at the time of his birth, he was the size of a Pepsi bottle when he was delivered. Now, modern medical professionals would have quickly pointed out that Ernesto was born with a form of primordial dwarfism, a condition that would cause him to have a short stature, low weight, a disproportioned skeleton, and would make him prone to vascular issues as he aged. His parents, however, had a completely different interpretation of what this meant. Being God-fearing Filipino Catholics, Ernesto's condition was chalked up to him having been conceived in the image of the Santo Nino de Cebu. So for all of you non-Catholics, and hey, let's face it, for the majority of you actual Catholics who didn't bother to crack a history book or pay attention in CCD class, it's okay, I can hit them, they're my own. The Santo Nino is a bit of Catholic iconography. It's a wooden statue of the child Jesus that was a gift from the Portuguese explorer Ferdinand Magellan to the Raja Humabon, gifted to the ruler upon his conversion to Catholicism in 1521. So what we're talking about here is a 12-inch ornately carved Jesus doll made from dark wood that's decked out in 16th century finery. So what's the big deal? Well, in 1565, when the Spanish started to forcibly make their presence known in the Philippines by way of colonization, they wanted to open up a new spice trade, so the Spanish general Miguel Lopez Legazpi arrived in the city of Cebu, and he tried to forcibly explain to the locals why they all of a sudden belonged to the king of Spain. Shockingly, the locals rejected him. And so the general did what he thought was best. He went back to his ships, and then he opened fire on the city with his cannons, burning some 1,500 homes and killing about 500 people in the process. Cebu fell to the Spanish, and the general ended up making Cebu the capital of his new colony, renaming the settlement the Villa de Santísimo Nombre de Jesus, the town of most holy name of Jesus. Great! So, as legend would have it, when the town was burned, the wooden statue actually survived by, of course, being secured away. So when it was found again, it was deemed, quote, a miracle in the eyes of the church. Uh, again, see previous statement, 500 dead, but a Jesus doll didn't get burnt. Hashtag priorities. So, to this day, in the Philippines, the child Jesus is venerated by Filipino Catholics, and thus, since Ernesto's mother would often pray and fixate on the shrine of the Santo Nino, the birth of baby Ernesto was equally deemed to be a miracle by his family. Now, his only surviving brother, Selling, stated that when Ernesto was born, it was actually never mentioned that he had dwarfism. Nobody ever contradicted his mother's insistence that the child was influenced by her devotion to the Christ child during her pregnancy. That being said, it's rather hard to argue that Ernesto's first year was indeed not miraculous. As a child, he was kept alive for the first year of his life in a custom padded shoebox that acted as sort of a homemade incubator to keep the child safe and warm. He was the youngest of five boys, and Ernesto grew up in poverty, but with great love. He was active, outgoing, and a mischievous child, and he earned the nickname Wang Wang. That's a term that's usually reserved for small dogs from his family and friends. Now, as a child, he was obsessed with martial arts, and he actually trained diligently studying karate for years. It was through his own instructor that he would ultimately get involved in the film business. You see, the instructor reached out and put Ernesto in touch with independent film producer Peter Cabalas, who was taken with the young man and saw that there was potential to utilize Ernesto and his talents on film. Now, I'm going to interrupt this bit of a biography to explain something else here. In the late 1960s, Many film companies had been scouting the Philippines as a prime location to make low-budget exploitation films. You know, they had eager workers, a unique setting, and there was little to no governmental red tape. For about a 20-year period, through the 
mid-80s, the Filipino movie industry experienced a golden age of film production, with everything from low-grade exploitation and B-movies being made there, such as Roger Corman's Big Dollhouse and Beyond Atlantis, to some quality productions. Uh, you might remember a little film by Francis Ford Coppola called Apocalypse Now. If you're ever in the mood to really get into understanding the background history of Filipino cinema as a genre, I would highly recommend director Mark Hartley's excellent documentary, Machete Maidens Unleashed. And while it suffers its title, it's a fascinating look at a very interesting period of B-filmmaking in a new setting. You should totally check it out. So, in 1972, a 15-year-old Ernesto found himself making his film debut. He was cast in a Filipino biblical epic entitled Go Tell It on the Mountain, where the diminutive youth played the role of baby Moses and appeared credited under his nickname Wang Wang. The film did very well in the Philippines, but the print was never properly cared for, so it disintegrated and is now considered to be completely lost to the ages. It wasn't Ernesto's last film, though. He would go on to star in a number of titles. Silakbo in 1975, They the Brave in 1976, followed by They on Every Sidewalk, same year. And then he would really raise his status, because he appeared in the film Chop Suey Meets Big Time Papa in 1978, which starred Ramona Zamora, an actor who was often touted as the Bruce Lee of the Philippines. And then really hitting a big. In 1980, Ernesto appeared in The Quick Brown Fox, which starred popular Filipino comedian and actor Rodolfo Vera Quinzon Sr., or as he was known by his screen name, Dolphy. The comedian took a real shine to the young man, and got him in touch with Hong Kong-based director Raymond Jury. The two of them got Wang Wang cast in a James Bond parody that was helmed by director Eddie Nykart. Agent Double O, which went on to star Dolphy alongside Ernesto as two super spies working for a government agency. Again, it's a film that was not well cared for and it's been lost to time, but it was a hit. And you now have Ernesto cast as a second to the lead, and that's pretty amazing. The film did well enough that the next year, Wang Wang would be tapped to film not one, but two sequels to Agent 00, one of which is our movie this week, for your height only. The premise is simple enough. Create a film that's going to be played straight and serious, but the twist is your dashing leading man himself is a little person. Due to that fact, most of the film's villains do not take Agent 00 seriously, much to their grave misfortune, with our hero winning his fights, romancing multiple damsels, and of course, saving the day. But in saying all of that, wow, you've been rather patient with me here, so how about we just go ahead and we get to the trailer? Hi folks, future Chris here. Well, future in the sense that it's now three days after I initially recorded this episode. I'm interrupting your access to this trailer just to give you a real-time example and show you how crazy the record-keeping and just the general mystery shrouding Wang Wang's life is. You see, I had misspoke earlier when I stated that Wang Wang's first film was the 1972 biblical picture Go Tell It on the Mountain. It wasn't. In fact, According to documentarian Andrew Leivold, Wang Wang was never even in that picture. This is something I learned by gleaning an excerpt from his own monograph on the subject. You see, right around the time that Leivold was putting together his own movie and subsequent book on Wang Wang's life, uh, information-wise, that's already a jumbled mess. You have all these leads that go everywhere, so I kid you not. At the time he's looking through all this information, there was a rival film historian who was attempting to do the same, craft his own work on Wang Wang's life. 
and this person, to further complicate things and muddy the waters, willfully put out a font of bad information on the internet about Wang Wang's life. That information was then picked up by various journalists who wrote many an article and reprinted it all as the truth. This was done in hopes that Leavold would further waste his time having to sort through and discern what exactly was considered real Filipino film history and what was just straight up bullshit. Which, when you're dealing with an actor like Wang Wang, who's already coming from a background that has a host of lost films, it's a real headache. Now, on my part, I'd like to apologize. I really do try to make sure I can track down solid sources, and the article I had gotten the information from was printed in Esquire magazine, and it was part of a blurb that covered Wang Wang's life and dovetailed into the documentary that he was, you know, going to be featured in. Um, and at least for that part, it had passed my initial vetted source test. But hey, like I tell my students, you always need to check your sources. So again, my apologies to all. I don't mean to give anyone erroneous information as we do this. We do pride ourselves on having some modicum of, you know, ethics here. So, all right, that little bit of unpleasantness is now considered settled for real this time. Go ahead and get to that trailer. Just in case you didn't know, Wing Wing is Agent 00, and he's back with more adventure in For Your Height Only. Yes, Agent 00 is back, and he's more defiant, more daring, more full of surprises. For your height only, it has more thrills, more action, more chips, more skills. Agent Double O, he's more full of fighting fury than before. Join him and Yellen Catral, Carmi Martina, Ana Marie Gutierrez, Beth Sandoval, his group of intrepid firefighters, as they ram through a network of syndicates and bust them wide open to save society from oppression in the name of justice. I am Mr. Giant. I want your formula of the end one. That's what I need in my organization. To conquer the world. No, it could be the end of the world. <laughs> Wang Wang is back, just the way you'd hope he would be, and more. This time, braving odds, coming face to face with countless dangers, risking life and limb as only Agent Double O would. resistance. It's a beaut. A real winner. Your gadgets, double O. as compelling or as big in the world of secret service agents as double O with always a trick up his sleeve. Nobody does it more conventionally or unconventionally as agent double O. Mark it well. This is agent double O. And he will stop at nothing to get his man in for your height only. 
height only. One motion picture treat you have owed yourself in a long time. Let Wing Wing, Agent Double O, and Tony Fred, Tony Falcon, take you on a high ride to entertainment for your height only. The diabolical cartel boss, Mr. Giant, has been making his presence known in the world. First, by exerting his control by running drugs and women, but then expanding his power and kidnapping a visiting foreign scientist, one Dr. Kohler, who's played by Mike Cohen, in an effort to get his hands on Kohler's latest invention, the devastating N-bomb. With such a device, Mr. Giant, would be able to have the other nations of the world at his very mercy. Welcome, Dr. Von Kohler. Who are you? And what do you want from me? I am Mr. Giant. I want your formula for the N-bomb. With that weapon in my possession, I can conquer the world. No. It could be the end of the world. It is only for your government. You cannot have it from me. Is that your final decision, Doctor? Yes. That is my final decision. Even if you kill me, Mr. Giant. They've got all the top agents out looking for Dr. Kohler. <laughs> they can search till kingdom come. Just a waste of energy. They'll never find him. Where is he, boss? And where's this Mr. Giant? Mr. Giant? I'd like to meet him. I mean, it's about time, ain't it? Don't be a nosy Parker, Paco. That curiosity here is you'll able to wake up one day and find yourself dead. Mr. Giant's whereabouts will remain my secret. The forces of good are our sworn enemy. And I repeat, they must be exterminated, and I mean lethally. You got it, boss. Thus, Kohler's disappearance triggers the agency to call forth their top field agent to thwart Mr. Giant's plans. And they activate Agent Double O, as played by Weng Weng, the short but suave man who can get to the bottom of the good doctor's disappearance. We get to first see Weng Weng in his day-to-day -day routine of just being a hero. He encounters a young lady, Lola, as played by Yellen Catral, and he helps get her out from under the thumb of a horrible crime boss named Columbus, as played by Max Alvarado, who just also happens to work for Mr. Giant. He romances her a little, and then in the process, uncovers and executes the underboss who's been threatening her life. It ain't locked. Enter. into my hands. Now I don't have to go looking for you. My gang bungled it. Now you get a bullet in your belly, Lola. This is it, kid. kidnapping of Von Kohler. You got a bug in your hair? Seriously, though, you know you're our main man. We got a whole bunch of new gadgets to help you on the case. I think you're going to like them. Needless to say, they cost a, a fortune. Only two people will have this pendant here. You, Double O, and the pretty broad we infiltrated into the syndicate. Two-way communication. Keep your eye on the light. And this ring here can detect all poisons. It's 
made out of gold. Platinum was too expensive. Our budget is a problem. You understand? It's specially built. It's really a humdinger. We got a silencer and a full clip. It's well known that you're a gun expert. I know it's dopey looking, but it's a weapon. And I mean a lethal weapon. And the main control is in your little ring. Pop the little what's it, and you release the blade. Your pen looks ordinary, and yet specially built. Another weapon. You won't write words, but you can't have everything. I like the way you pay attention. Now, this is very interesting. Inside this buckle is a gang of gimmicks, a mighty handy item. It's got many uses, uh, slice of steel bars. I'd keep it handy. <laughs> A piece of resistance. You know what these are for, Double O, huh? It's a beaut. A real winner. Your gadgets, Double O. Huh? Your man, a few words. I like that. So Agent Double O checks in with the home office where he talks to the chief, as played by Tony Ferrer. And he learns that he's going to be helping fellow agent Irma, as played by Beth Sandoval, who is working deep cover within the syndicate, trying to infiltrate Mr. Giant's organization and leaking information out back to the agency, keeping an eye on the underboss who goes by the name of Cobra, as played by Romy Nerio. Of course, before Agent Double O goes off on his meandering adventure of fisticuffs and gunfights, he needs to be decked out with some cool spy gear. Right off the bat, Agent Double O gets to use his anti-poison ring to detect his beloved Coke beverage has been spiked as he makes inquiries into the local cartel's dealings and scours some local bars and rough neighborhoods looking for leads. Irma, of course, continues to send him clues and updates as to what's going on with the syndicate, allowing Weng Weng to slowly dismantle their drug trade and interrupt their cash flow, all in the hopes that it'll force Mr. Giant to reveal himself, and, of course, lets him use his new gadgets in the process. The syndicate members, tired of being beaten and shut down at every turn, start, of course, to get suspicious. How did that midget find out about our operation? That little wine could put us out of business. Boss, it's a mystery. A real brain twister. I just don't know. There must be a leak somewhere. That's the only explanation. Let's hear your thinkings. I think you're a dumb gorilla. You're a minute just like you. Simeon, Dahlia! Boss, I bet I know. I bet there's a Judas amongst us. You don't trust your own gang. That's really pretty low. You're the one that hired them all, so that makes you responsible. I wasn't serious. Honest. After that tongue lashing, Irma learns that Mr. Giant desires gold to pay for the construction of his N-bomb, and that leads Agent Double O on a new adventure to disrupt the Syndicate's plans. He gets accosted by some toughs, and he fends them off using his bladed, remote-controlled hat. The members of the crew begin to worry that Irma may indeed be helping the agent, and they start to follow her movements. Eventually, they do confirm she is the spy, and they take her prisoner in an effort to draw Agent Double O out. This leads to another series of adventures where Wang Wang must discover where Irma has been taken, and leads him to a nightclub scene where he has a romance with both a club goer, Anna, as played by Anna Marie Gutierrez, and a reporter, Marilyn, as played by Carmi Martin, to work his way up the food chain of the syndicate. 
Of course, he gets to have shootouts and sword fights along the way as he goes, all in an effort to uncover what happened to Irma. Agent Double-O finally does learn the location of Mr. Giant's headquarters, itself a heavily defended island, which he infiltrates by way of jetpack, and then, armed with a custom submachine gun slash grenade launcher, he calls in reinforcements and engages an army of drug dealers that stand in the way between retrieving both Irma and the good Dr. Kohler. As he shoots his way into the compound, Wang Wang is surprised to be confronted directly by Mr. Giant himself who is revealed to be a little person as well. Welcome, Agent Double-O. Mr. Giant? That is correct. Where is Irma? And the doctor? Don't worry, Mr. Double-O. They're on my island. And the sharks are looking forward to eating them. They have a rough fight amongst themselves, but Wang Wang gets the upper hand knocking Mr. Giant down and finally executing him with a burst of machine gun fire. Agency forces arrive to help clear the island of syndicate members, and while the good doctor and Irma are freed, as they make their way to the beach landing zone for extradition, Irma is shot in the back by a syndicate member and dies in the arms of Agent Double O. The film ends with Wang Wang paying his respects to her grave, having broken the syndicate and maintained world peace. The credits roll. Lots of cops, so you thinking you nice mastermind Genius if you think you already own the title From behind you hear the whine of a mini motorcycle It roll up quick with two foot six of trouble on top He shoots and look crooks, get shook and you can feel your heart stop The kind of man that can chill you right through to your soul He shall pull over to the side of the road I'm into pole, best oblige and subside Cause if not you're sure to die Buy a both stats and go mad, suicide you to eye Try and flip the script, if he's outnumbered and underhanded He's outstanding, he can jump the Grand Canyon and land in a mini bandit Justice, he'll never lose. Finest barbers and tailors. He know we thought we'd look as we'll take you out without a doubt. Boom, bitty, bang, bang. My advice to criminals is stay the fuck away from Wang Wang. So much to unpack here. Well, look, as we stated earlier, this is a prime example of exploitation fair, the likes of which I'm sure would not be able to get made today. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. The concept of Wang Wang's size being the only real joke of the film is tied into the joke of his fighting, his gunplay, his romancing of his co-stars. His height makes him prone to only applying groin strikes, or he can trip his opponents, and he does a lot of sliding across the floor for quick moving target action while he's shooting people. That, and then the big reveal at the end with Mr. Giant himself being a little person, and the concept of two little people fighting, that's really supposed to wow and surprise the audience. But again, there's no joke. Now, perhaps back in the day, this was an unenlightened way to garner some cheap laughs. I can't get around that. You, the viewer, at least as an audience member back in 1981, were supposed to have a real laugh at Wang Wang's size and in all the things he's doing. But I have to say, as time has rolled on, the fact that this film, aside from its comical dubbing from Tagalog to English, it plays the plot pretty much straight as a heart attack. So now when a person watches it, aside from being confused by some of the overall cheesiness of the action, this film honestly is just another action film. 
Again, I'll point out, the dubbing really makes the situation all the stranger. Whoever got together and thought it would be a really good idea to have a bunch of people do bad Edward G. Robinson gangster impressions, my hat's off to you. It's nothing short of bizarre to see a bunch of guys in polyester shirts talking like they're 1930s mobsters. I, I get it, some of the gadgets and whatnot are jokey and corny. Example, the x-ray shades that allow Wang Wang to see everybody naked. But, at least for the time, that's on par with other spy spoofs. You know, films like Our Man Flint or your Matt Helm pictures. Wang Wang is treated pretty much as a respected equal by almost everyone on the screen. He wins fights, he gets girls, and none of his co-workers or compatriots use anything about his size as a negative. He is just their most competent field agent. Indeed, it's only a few of the bad guys who say anything negative about the spy. Occasionally, you get to hear him called the derogatory term of midget, but that being said, even the main syndicate bosses are respectful and reserved, and they fear him. All that taken in stride for the time period, aside for his height, Agent 00 as a character is rather cool, albeit a little slapstick prone. I mean, he's decked out in that all-white suit, seemingly cut to mimic John Travolta's iconic Saturday Night Fe you know, Fever ensemble. He uses a bunch of slick gadgets, he performs crazy stunts, he thrills the ladies. All of that played straight. Watching this film now, some 40 years later, what is so completely stunning about it all is just how ordinary it is. Wang Wang himself is not the joke that he was potentially meant to be. Rather, the things that make this a B film, and good or bad depending on your taste, belong really to the jump edits, the crazy dubbing, and some of the over-the-top stunt work. Our modern aesthetic and mores have, and for the better I might add, lapped any of the insensitivity when it comes to De La Cruz's condition. We are just here watching a strange, over-the-top Bond knockoff that happens to have an actor who we would now call a little person. Culturally, I would argue this is quite an achievement. Indeed, Ernesto De La Cruz, for participating in this film, received a Guinness Book of World Records placement. He was the shortest leading man in a major motion picture. His performance should not be viewed as a negative. It is illuminating. It's not something to be mocked. The writing itself might be uninspired and silly, but that's not his fault. Wang Wang does a very serviceable job here, helming a spy film that allows him to do what he does best, martial arts and stunt work, albeit with some groan-worthy dubbed dialogue. In a very real way, this film is ahead of its time. It just didn't know it. If modern audiences are going to take umbrage, may I kindly then direct you to first start storming what's left of the picked-over corpses of a blockbuster video, and take all that anger and find a more reasonable target. Might I suggest the infamously head-scratching Dorf series, perpetuated by one Mr. Tim Conway. Because if you think this is bad, whew, boy, those are going to get your blood boiling. Still, from my perspective, For Your Height Only is a film that actually can be championed as a triumph of an individual to succeed in a medium that normally would have relegated him to performing some sort of side role. You know, the usual roles that little people are given. Monsters, elves, magical creatures, something of that nature, instead of this very progressive view, which puts a little person as the protagonist of their own story. It's pretty amazing. Is it a silly movie? Absolutely. It's undoubtedly an exploitation masterpiece. But I will argue it is worth seeing, if only to put in context just how earth-shattering it was and still remains to this day. Of course, that being said, not everyone feels about this film the way I do. And that's okay, because that's why we have things like the sidecar.
And joining us today in the sidecar for the third time this month, how nice, is the one, the only, Velocipeter himself, Mr. Peter Martin, host of the Velocip Podcast and Ninja News Japan Podcast. Truth be told, it was Peter himself who, in conversation with me, turned me on to the films of Wang Wang and who had suggested that we cover it for this show. So, I'm very interested just to see what his take on the subject matter will be. So all that being said, what do you have for us today, Peter? I've restarted recording this about five times, and it's because I find Wang Wang very difficult to talk about. And it's because I have this very strange love for what they've done. It is absolute exploitation. It's terrible. And yet, somehow, there is an underlying love that comes through that I cannot deny. They have entered a territory where since nothing makes sense, everything makes sense. The fact that Wang Wang is an incredibly sexual being. But are you a sexual animal? I don't know. I'm crazy about you, Agent Double O. Why, I don't know. Maybe it's the way you structure stuff. You know, sex is like tequila. Take one sip and you're a goner. Shall we get it on? Yes, darling, there you are, That his martial arts prowess primarily focuses on him kicking people in the nuts. And his signature move is sliding along the floor and shooting people, I assume to make himself a small moving target. They surprisingly don't do a lot of short jokes, considering at the time, I believe, in the Guinness Book of World Records, Wang Wang was the shortest man in the world. I don't know what this movie's tone was in the original language. I've only ever seen it in a dub. And the dubbing came at a time when, let's just say they didn't respect the source material. But in a way, in this case, that's perfectly acceptable. I'm thinking mostly 70s kung fu movies that came to the West. And I'm sure the people who had to dub these were only given the bare bones minimum of what the plot was, and they had to make up the dialogue on the fly. And that's why you get a lot of weird lines. But the weirdest bits to me in Wang Wang are when he introduces himself like this. I'm Secret Agent 00. Wang Wang feels it's perfectly appropriate, or the people who dubbed him feel it's perfectly appropriate, for a secret agent to introduce himself as, I'm Secret Agent 00. That is his full introduction. And the simple fact is that that's fine in this movie. There is no secret element to him or his organization. All the bad guys, who are all very chubby, I might add, know who he is the whole film. They talk about him. They know what he looks like. They see him. They just start running after him. There is no issue here that comes along with secrecy. And somehow, it's completely forgivable. Just like every element of the film is completely forgivable. Because he will introduce himself like this. I'm Secret Agent 00. Are you Anna? I own to that. What can I do for you? Multiple times throughout the film. And that's okay. Because Wang Wang's okay. And if Wang Wang's okay, then we're all okay. If Chris doesn't play the Chud's rap, if he doesn't include that in this, then this whole exercise has been pointless. I can understand and relate about the film and the dignity that the subject matter actually has here. Now, I'll agree with Peter's assessment. This film was indeed sweetened by the fly-by-the-seat-of-their-pants dubbing. It's ridiculous. And I'll agree that the whole introducing yourself as Secret Agent 00 
It is very silly, but in context, it's no different or any worse than a Bond movie, where he's always supposed to be undercover, and yet everybody knows exactly who he is, why he's there, and he gives his real name out to everybody. He's supposed to thwart the plans of the bad guy du jour, and we forgive all of it. Obviously, we've all heard the chuds wang wang rap at the top of the episode, so I hope that does please everybody that's been involved in this process. Just want to point out, thank you, Peter. We very much appreciate your insight into this. And if nothing else, thank you so much for turning us on to this unique and interesting gem of Filipino cinema. Now I can hear you out there. Well, just how exactly was this film received? Well, much to the horror of those Filipinos who are trying to lend some real gravitas and artistic merit to their burgeoning film scene, it was for your height only that was selected at the first Manila International Film Festival to be the film that would be showcased to promote Filipino films abroad. In front of an audience that included Brooke Shields, Priscilla Presley, Franco Nero, and Jeremy Irons, Wang Wang stood with director Nykart and the cast to receive honors from the dictatorial first lady Imelda Marcos in 1981, as For Your Height Only swept the festival. Indeed, the film would, at least in the Philippines, beat out the newly released Raiders of the Lost Ark, as well as The Empire Strikes Back in box office receipts. Wang Wang was a superstar. Striking while the iron was still hot, Wang Wang immediately was tapped to do more features, including the action western The Wild Wild Wang, and he would go on to star as du Agent 00 in another sequel, The Impossible Kid, before filming the comedy The Cute, The Sexy, and The Tiny in 1982. During this time, Ernesto was actually quite chummy with members of the Marcos family, and he spent a great deal of time with the president's wife and children. As movie work began to turn fickle, however, Wang Wing found himself being used more as a mascot for state functions. He was to show up at political events, he would rally for re-election for President Marcos. He was even issued a badge and a gun by the government and given a job as a, quote, welcoming agent at the Ninoy Aquino International Airport in Manila, greeting foreign tourists as they would come in. So here's the part where our story kind of takes a turn for the tragic. You see, Ernesto, while gifted and skilled in performing stunt work, martial arts, and being on camera, he suffered from a complication brought on by his primordial dwarfism, and by today's standards, he would be considered somewhat mentally deficient. As his surviving brother, Selling, would later state, he was a good person, but he had the mind of a 10-year-old child. Now, others have disputed this fact in interviews. They claim he was both worse and better than his brother's assessment. And while some of that argument clouds the issue, the bottom line still remains the same. While Ernesto himself was competent, at least in making films, he did not have the capacity nor the wherewithal to advocate on his own behalf. And this fact allowed multiple people, producers, directors, literally the dictator who controlled the country, to take horrific advantage of him the married producing team of Peter and Cora Cabalas, the one who basically helped him get into the business in the first place, they unofficially were his patrons and they would take care of his basic needs. He always had a place to live, food to eat, clothing to wear. But Wang Wang, as a superstar who was making a lot of money for these various filmmakers, he was never properly compensated for any of the films he starred in. The same went for his political appearances that he made, as well as all the work he did in national public relations. Everyone knew who he was, but he was treated as a pet. His feelings and his family were not considered. And as his popularity waned in the mid-1980s, Ernesto de la Cruz found himself right back where he had started, living in his family home with his parents in the poor part of Manila, 
the directors and producers who had advocated for his work had retired. His usefulness to the Marcos family was now gone, and the only thing that remained for him was a life of obscurity and poverty. Compounding matters, by 1990, the now 33-year-old De La Cruz suffered from a massive stroke, which rendered him incapacitated. Half of his body was horrifically paralyzed, and due to complications with hypertension that were linked to his primordial dwarfism, Ernesto De La Cruz would die in his home with his mother on August 29, 1992, at the age of 34, brought on by a massive heart attack, the second in a series of heart attacks that were attributed to his aforementioned health condition. Wang Wang was no more. Now, one would think that it all just would have stopped there. But Wang Wang, as a subject, has had a bit of a renaissance over the last few years. Starting in the early aughts, Australian video store owner and documentarian Andrew Leivold set out on a quest to try to uncover as much information as he could about the actor who was his childhood favorite, Wang Wang. Leivold had grown up watching For Your Height Only and The Impossible Kid, and he wanted to know more about what became of his cinematic hero. A person who, after 1987, seemingly disappeared from the public eye altogether. Armed with a camera and a list of names, he barnstormed the Philippines, looking for clues and interviewing actors, producers, family members, politicians, just to get to the bottom of Ernesto's story and to uncover just what was the truth when it came to the life of Ernesto de la Cruz. By 2007, he had put together a rough cut of a film and launched a Kickstarter campaign to support the project. With local producers, he was able to actually bankroll the funding and get what would become the 2013 documentary, The Search for Wang Wang, made. The film ended up making its debut in 2014 at the Montreal Fantasia International Film Festival, and it opened up a whole new generation to Wang Wang, his films, and what's more important, as a documentarian, he seems to have been able to capture De La Cruz's spirit, the ability to overcome the situation and keep striving to be what he wanted to be, which just further makes the man's life an inspiring triumph. And even though the medium in which he worked was silly and fun and basically straight exploitation films, he got to be the hero he was. And if that doesn't hit you in the feels, then I don't know what to say to you. version of For Your Height Only screened here at the LSCE was the Mondo Macabro 2005 DVD release. And from a certain perspective, it comes with some rather sparse pickings if you're a fan of Wang Wang. Now the film has been remastered and was digitally restored, and it comes with two written essays on the making of the film and on the love of the actor. It also throws in a host of Mondo Macabro catalog previews, and all that is indeed kind of disappointing. But the disc also comes with a full-blown bonus movie, The Challenge of the Tiger. It's a 1980s Hong Kong-filmed joint American-Italian martial arts knockoff. It's a pure example of Bruce-sploitation, literally a film where they get a Bruce Lee look-alike to star in a martial arts action film to make a quick buck. In this case, the film stars Wong King Lung, who goes by the name of Bruce Lee, and that's just a simple L-E. Yeah, pretty, uh, pretty cheap shot there. It's also pretty bananas. The plot is threadbare. The action, the violence, the nudity, all those are high. You literally watch a guy fight a bull. No, you heard me right, fist fight, a bowl. So as far as bonus films go, you could do far worse. Let's just say you wanted to get yourself a copy. Well, currently the version we screened here at the LSCE is out of print. 
but for your height only as a standalone DVD can still be found on Amazon today for the hefty price of $34.30, which actually is not what I would recommend to pay for this film. Loathe as I am to admit this, the film in its entirety can be currently watched on YouTube, but as always, I would recommend to people go out, buy a copy of the film, support the people that made it. Now, let's say that's just not enough for you. Perhaps you'd like to hear more about Ernesto's story. Well, you can find the excellent documentary, The Search for Wang Wang, available on Amazon right now for the price of $14.95. Well worth it. Or, hey, let's say you want to do your own deep dive into learning about Filipino productions. You can get your own copy of Machete Maidens Unleashed, available on Amazon right now for $19.99. And again, I would tell you, well worth it. Remember, folks, we here at the LSCE don't get anything for telling you where to purchase films from. We just think it's important these days to continue to support physical media so the artists and the rights holders continue to keep releasing all the great content that we know and love. And at the end of the day, isn't that what it's all about? Getting more of the thing that you love? Besides, these films are so unique, so interesting, and they are rather fun. And that's something we all could use more of in these troubling times. So, what are you waiting for? Get out there, get those flicks today. So that's going to wrap things up here for this episode of I Saw It on Linden Street. Thank you so much for joining us. I'd like to extend a special thank you to our sidecar guest, the Velocipeter himself, Peter Martin, for joining us here today. If you enjoyed his breakdown, <laughs> why wouldn't you? You can of course find him speaking on a host of other topics, both on Ninja News Japan and on the Velocipod podcast. So please, support our friends. Please go give him a listen and a like and a review if you could. We hope you will tune in again. If you like us, please give us a favorable review on Apple Podcasts. Swing by, check out our website, lscep.com, where we have articles, episode links, and comics for you to peruse. We're also featured on Podchaser. That's a podcast database for listeners and creators alike. Find us there. Give us a follow and a review if you please. And hey, feel free to like any of the lists we are part of to give us a boost in the rankings. The more reviews increases the likes and makes us more searchable. And then we can share this show with more people. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with us, make a comment, ask a question, send us wonderful things, please email us at lindenstreetcinemaexperience at gmail.com. If you'd like to even be more personal or wish to contribute a segment in the sidecar, please send us an audio message by way of Anchor. That's a free and easy app to use. So, until next time, take care out there, wash your hands, wear a mask, please stay healthy. And remember, life's too short not to live in the past. Take it easy, everybody.
can't believe what happened. It's a boy. Hey, what happened? I can't believe it. Where did he come from? Whoa, pretty boy. Mmm, yeah. Aren't you a pretty boy? Handsome, too. Oh, yes. 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 <laughs>